Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church is a new church plant in Tucson, Arizona. We welcome you to join us every Sunday morning at 10.30 for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you would like more information, visit us online at wayfamily.church. We're going to be looking at Jonah, and uh, before we look at Jonah, just something to really reflect on and think about is the fact and the reality that God truly uses several personalities to accomplish his goals, does he not? Like you think about the beginning of the Bible and the Old Testament throughout and even in the New Testament, the, the personalities that God has chosen to go and fulfill the work that he has called them to do, they're, they're quite interesting. You know, everyone that you point out, you think, oh, that's an amazing person, and we can call him Saint this or Saint that, right? But in reality, we have this interesting picture of a bunch of broken people, you know, like really broken people, and yet God chooses to use them. He calls them out of brokenness, and he does something amazing. Just as Sandy mentioned, she, she makes beauty with ashes. He makes beauty with ashes. And so um, I, I look at Jonah, and Jonah is an interesting character, you know? It's, it's a question, it's a head-scratcher as to, God, why did you choose Jonah? Like, why did you call him with such the personality that he has? Um, and, and you know what? It kind of keeps going. Like, if you remember Abraham, the, the patriarch of the Jewish community, he was, a, he, he was a, at times someone who was overly concerned for his safety that didn't mind putting his wife at risk. Like, that's kind of messed up, right? Like, oh... I don't want to get killed, so we're just going to make sure you take the hit, if anything. He does that twice. Jacob, his name literally means deceiver. He took his brother's blessing through trickery, and yet God chooses to use Jacob in such an amazing way. And Joseph, Joseph was betrayed. He was deceived himself, right? He was enslaved. He was falsely accused, and he was forgotten. That's a recipe for brokenness, right? And yet God uses him to do great things. And there's Moses. Who was Moses? He was a murderer. He was exiled. And he stuttered. And he had lack of self-confidence to be able to lead. And yet God used him to lead, right? And he was also despised even by his brother and sister. Did you know that about Moses? There was a moment where Arian and Miriam just... They, they didn't like him, and God actually dealt with them appropriately. But these people are just, you would think, man, if I really knew every, everything that this person is, I would not consider them suitable leaders. Do you remember Samson? Samson had all kinds of problems. Let's just say he was a womanizer and just stop there. Okay, David, he was a murdering adulterer, and there's more to him, and God still uses him, right? And so on and so forth. And if you read Hebrews chapter 11, you read of these people. And you don't read about their brokenness. You read about how God did great things through them because they stepped up and obeyed at the end of the day, right? And they moved forward by faith, not because of their own power or might. Just broken, messed up people. Tore up from the floor up, right? <laughs> Yet God still chose to use them. And so this is now Jonah. He is a minor prophet. So you probably heard it say there's major prophets and minor prophets. We've said this before. Major prophet doesn't mean that he's 18 and over and minor prophets are minors, right? Uh, a major prophet is just a, a prophet that God used longer. And so he had more to write. Minor prophets, they have like little books that they wrote 
the word of the Lord comes to them and they write down what happens and you don't hear or see much from them after that. So we call them minor prophets just for the sake of being able to identify them. Jonah is that. He's a minor prophet. What is a prophet? A prophet is a proclaimer of the will of God. That's what it is. Inspired by God himself, Jonah, to serve as a mouthpiece in delivering whatever message God would have delivered. And so a prophet is someone who can literally audibly hear from God. Someone who just knows what God's message is for the people. But their calling is not just to, to hear this, but to also to proclaim this. Most prophets were hated. Do you know that? In fact, I'm going to go with all prophets were hated. Okay? The message that prophets brought usually was not well received because it was, a, it was generally a message of judgment, a call to repentance, all right? And then the key to salvation, which nobody wanted to hear because they were so entrapped in, the, in their sin. And so prophets were generally not well received. And so here's Jonah. We're going to read about Jonah here. And what's interesting about Jonah is his rebellion, all right? He's a prophet that rebels against God's calling for him. So today we're going to look at Jonah the rebel. And we're just going to focus on verse 1 through 6. We're going to make it short and sweet, hopefully, because there's a lot to learn just in this introduction of the, the chapter. Okay, let's read it together. It says this. <clears throat> now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this time together. Just pray, Father, that your, uh, your word may be received by our hearts and our minds today. Lord Jesus, help us understand what you have for us and help us find you even through the pages of the Old Testament. We pray in your mighty name. Amen. All right. So let's break it down. Let's make sense of this passage. Thank you. And, uh, and then let's see what God has for us. Now, when I read this, I saw four main sections. One, God's command. Two, Jonah's response. Three, God's response to Jonah. And then four, you see the captain's request to Jonah as well. All right. So there's different pieces to this. And I kind of just want to break it down that way. The first thing I want to look at is God's command. Okay. Now, it starts with verse 1. It says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What does that mean? That actually is what validifies Jonah as prophet. Okay? The word of the Lord came to him. That means I heard from God. God came to me, and he came to me with a message. Okay? And if you look, if you kind of cheat and look through the pages of the minor prophets, you'll see that most of them start with the word of the Lord came to, the word of the Lord came to, 
the word of the Lord came to you. That's what validified them or launched them into this ministry of prophet. Okay. And so Jonah is a prophet, no doubt about this. He's the son of a Mittite. And in verse two, here's the command of the Lord. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for the evil has come before me. He's saying, get up, go to Nineveh. What is he saying? Pack up, you're leaving. All right. Wherever you are, he was a Hebrew. He probably lived in the regions of Jerusalem or somewhere around there. God's telling him, get your stuff together. Just take what you need and you're going to go to Nineveh. Where is Nineveh? Nineveh was a little bit far away. It's actually northern Iraq, modern day Iraq. And but the thing about it is that the, the word Nineveh, that's a problem for Jonah. And it would have been a problem for many Hebrews because Nineveh was, as mentioned here, a great city. But I would say that we see that Jonah flees from this, right, from this calling. But I would maybe think rightly so if you consider who the Ninevites were. If you want to learn more about who the Ninevites were, read Nahum. All right. Nahum gives you a good description of their sin. They were brutal, a brutal society, huge, bloodthirsty. They're described as completely irrational with people's lives and the dignity of life. They, the, the city was described to have dead corpses and bodies and people would just walk over them. It was that mindless for them to, to take a life. It was no big deal. They were just nasty, brutal people and they were one of the greatest enemies for the Israelites at the time. And so Jonah did not want to go there for several reasons. One, because he knew the outcome. He, he heard the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What did he know? If you fast forward to chapter four if, in your Bibles, I don't have this on the screen. So this is a, if you have a Bible, this is a perk for you, for those who you have a Bibles. Chapter four, verse two, at the end of verse two, it, Jonah says, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knows this about God. He knows this about the character of God. And that's why he doesn't want to go to Tarshish. One, they're brutal people and he doesn't want to have to be under threat. And two, God's actually merciful. And Jonah doesn't want mercy for his enemy. Have you ever met someone that you just can't stand? Have you ever met someone... Not Richard. Yeah. Have you ever met someone that you're like, you actually wish them like harm? I, I know it's, it's hard. It's heavy. But tell me I'm not the only one who's ever felt that way about somebody. Like sometimes we think that person deserves the greatest judgment, the, the, the blunt of God's wrath, like on that person. I want that person to experience it because they're so awful. You know, we've all kind of felt that way before. And this is how Jonah feels towards Nineveh. He does not like them. If you read the whole book, there's only four short chapters in here. You realize Jonah does not like them. It's very easy to see. In fact, he would rather die than to see them be restored. Like that's hatred. All right. Yet God says, Jonah, I want to use you. Despite your personalities, despite your issues, you're going to go and you're going to deliver this message. You're going to go to Nineveh. Okay, that's the command, right? Why? Because their evil has come up before me um, or their disaster has come up before me. This is a big deal. You know, what the Ninevites are doing, God's noticing it. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're part of God's family or not, God notices you. All right? And he will 
judge accordingly. He will uh, deal with his creation. And so the Ninevites were far from the Hebrews, God's chosen people, but nevertheless, he's noticed them. And so he's sending Jonah out there, just like he's noticed a lot of people from around the world. And so he's sending missionaries out to these different peoples in the ends of the earth. All right. This is God's sovereignty. This is the way he sees everything. Everything is just at, um, in front of him. There's nothing that can be hidden from him. All right. So that's God's command. Now let's look at Jonah's response. Jonah, the prophet, the preacher, right? If you're a prophet, you're preaching. You're proclaiming God's word to people. Let's see what this holy man does, all right? But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Wait a minute. He rose to flee to Tarshish. He didn't rise to go to Nineveh. He rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go to them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, we see two things. There are two things that are really standing out. One, he's going to Tarshish, mentioned several times here. For why? Because he needs to flee the presence of the Lord. Let me ask you this. Pop quiz. Is it possible to flee the presence of the Lord? No. <laughs> All right. But here's probably what the mindset was. Now, I think Jonah knew better. But maybe he was thinking if he could get as far as, as far as far away from the temple, which was known and thought to contain the presence of the Lord. They called it the tabernacle. Remember that? The, the, the word tabernacle literally means God's abiding presence. So God tabernacles in our souls, in our hearts. That means God's presence is with us. And so he's trying to get as far away as he could possibly get from the presence of the Lord. It could be that that's where he encountered the Lord. That's where the word of the Lord came to him. And he was just trying to get away from that area. All right. But it's literally impossible to avoid God, <laughs> to flee from his presence. And we'll see more on that later in, in a bit. And so what does he try to do? He tries to go to Tarshish. Tarshish was one of the furthest known cities to the Hebrews. Let me show you a little map. Do we have an, uh, let's see if you guys can see this. It's kind of hard to see. All right, so Joppa is where he's uh, taking off from. That's really near, it's, it's modern day Tel Aviv. If you've heard of Tel Aviv, Israel, that's where Joppa is, okay? Is that better? And so he's asked to go to Nineveh. You see where Nineveh is. That's modern day Iraq, northern Iraq. And so no, Heck no, techno, I'm not going to Nineveh. Two reasons, I don't like those people. I don't want to be killed by those people, harmed by those people, and I don't even want salvation to come with, to those people. They deserve your judgment. It's like, God, don't send me, just, just judge them, you know? Just go ahead and kill them. And so what he does is he goes to Joppa, he gets in a boat, and he tries to go to Tarshish. That's where Tarshish is, okay? This is as far away as he could possibly get. I imagine, this is me, my imagination, that once he got to Tarshish, he would try to go even further, just to find out that that was the end of the world. And that literally was the end of the world as the world knew it at that time, right? It wasn't until Columbus figured out that it keeps going. <laughs> All right, and so this is the kind of disposition that Jonah has. He is trying to run. There's a lot to learn there. All right. Sometimes we're called to do something and our reaction is let's run. I don't want to do that. 
for several reasons. It could, it's a very personal thing, right? It could be because you hate the person that you're called to or the lifestyle or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? There's reasons why we run from God's calling. And this is exactly what Joe is doing. He's running from the presence of the Lord. Now, what is God's response to this? Verse four. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. That was his response. Why? Because he can. Because God, because heaven and earth declare the glory of God. Everything responds to him. He has command over everything. And so to get Jonah's attention, he starts a storm. All right. There's a storm brewing. Jonah, where are you going? You know, I don't know what God's character is like in regards to how he responds to us, but I kind of imagine it's like, oh, you can run, but you can't hide, you know? <laughs> I'm not sure, but he is trying to get Jonah's attention, and that's for sure. All right, and so he hurls this great wind upon the sea and the mighty tempest that threatens to break the ship. That's a pretty big storm. That's similar to what we saw in Acts with Paul. All right. And they're in the same sea there. So it's probably the same kind of situation or circumstance. I don't know. But then it says here in verse five that the mariners were afraid. Now, this is significant because if they were going to Nineveh, it is thought that these were um, um, sailors, Phoenician sailors and Phoenician sailors were legendary sailors. They were the ones who knew the seas better than anybody else. They were fearless guys. They were, as you can imagine, like fearless, gnarly looking Vikings, like these were the Phoenician sailors, the ones who made the long trips in the seas. And they didn't even have that big of boats. So they were quite legendary. You know, these guys are afraid. This is the kind of storm that the Lord has stirred. These guys are afraid. And then look what happened. It says each cried out to his own God. You know, um, this is something that's very true. In fact, I'm reminded of, of a moment with one of my past neighbors. I had a neighbor who lived um, uh, to, to right next door to us. When we were just talking, he said something that was quite interesting. I don't know how the conversation kind of started, but the question was, do you believe in God? Or his answer response was, yeah, I believe in God. And he said, I believe in God because when I get in trouble, I can't help but to call out to him. That was his reason why he believed that there was a God. He says, when I'm in trouble, just instinctively, my soul goes, God, help me. You know, that's what happens when we're in trouble, regardless of who you are, whether a believer or not. You know, have you guys heard of uh, uh, Richard Hawkins? Is it Hawkins? Who, uh, the atheist? Stephen Hawkins? Uh, uh, no, it's Richard Dawkins. Yeah. Come on, guys. You guys didn't help <laughs> Richard Dawkins is a world-renowned atheist. He's a biologist, scientist, and he's a really strong debater for atheism, all right? And he's debated a lot of several Christians and apologists, and um, he's a smart guy. We'll give it to him. He's a smart guy. But what's so funny, this is, because I'm, I'm a nerd like this, I like to watch debates. It was so funny, there was one time where he gets stumped, and he doesn't know what to do, and so what was his reaction? He said, oh my God, I don't know. And the apologist says, oh, you're what? You know, <laughs> I thought you didn't believe in God. And so it's like, oh, it's just a figure of speech. But here's the thing, though. Innately, we cry out to God, right? It could be that our gods are something else. And so we cry out to whatever we know to cry out to. But our souls cry out. They, it longs, our spirit longs for the presence of God. 
And so that's the reaction that these sailors are having as well. It's like, oh my God, cry, cry out to whoever. Just something, help us. Someone help us. And they hurled the cargo, it says, in the uh, continuing verse 5, that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But look at this. This part is just weird. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. That's really strange to me. If the, if the ship is in a storm and it's threatening to break up, how can you be asleep? You know, this is like a depression type of sleep. You know, sometimes you can be so far out of God's will that you kind of sleep through storms, you sleep through life. This is where Jonah's at. He is so down, so depressed, so unhappy with his life right now that he's able to fall asleep in a storm. This is a good time to kind of check ourselves. Where am I? Am I so far away from God's will that I'm sleeping through the storms that he stirred for me? You know, this is a good life lesson. And, and even the captain of this ship is kind of weirded out by this. And so the captain, verse six, so the captain of the ship said to him, and this is the captain's request. Check this out. What do you mean, you sleeper? Like other translations say, why are, why are you sound asleep? Like, how can you sleep through this? This is what he's saying. He says, get up, arise, call out to your God. In other words, pray. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, here's what I want you to understand and see what's going on here. All right. The captain is an unbeliever. Do we know that he's an unbeliever? It says that he cried out to his God. All right. Not the God, but his God. That means this guy was not a believer. Yet this guy goes to the preacher man. All right. Preacher man, get up, wake up. And then this man says, preacher, you should pray. Wait a second. <laughs> the believer is fast asleep, hiding, tucking, running from the Lord's will. And this non-believer, this person who's, that Jonah should be ministering to, is coming and he's asking him, hey, do you think you could pray? Like, come on. And that's sometimes us, right? We're in these trials in life and we don't do what we need to do about it. It takes someone else to kind of wake us up a little bit, doesn't it? And this is exactly what Jonah is experiencing. And then we see that he does rise and he tells him who he is, but we'll save that for next week because there's just so much to really learn from this. And I don't want to take forever today. All right. So what do we learn from this? Well, first of all, there's a pretty awesome Christ connection here. Christ connection. I love to do this when I'm looking at Old Testament passages because I think you know this, but everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. Nothing in the New Testament is apart from Christ himself. New Testament is when Christ comes incarnate and he takes on flesh to physically be here, but he's been part of the story since Genesis. And so what about the situation here with Jonah? Do we necessarily see Christ here yet? No, we see a Christ connection. And this is something that's important to know about Jesus Christ. Unlike Jonah, who despised the sinner enough to flee from the Lord's command to go to them, Christ willingly and lovingly went to the sinners to be with them and to die for them. See, God always had a person that he worked through. In this case, it was Jonah. Jonah, not good enough. Christ, definitely good enough. Jonah, not willing to go to the sinner and die. All right. Now, he doesn't even love the sinner in this regard. He wants them to just be judged and perish. Christ 
left his throne to be a man, to walk with us, to know us, to live with us. He loved us so much. What does John 3.16 say? That he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He gave himself up for us. That's a true and better Jonah right there, right? Jonah was called to do the work to save these people of Nineveh and wasn't willing to do it. Are you willing to do that work? We've all been given a command to go and make disciples of all nations. Christ was willing to do that. He died for the sinner. That's hard to do. There is no greater love than he who laid his life down for his friends, right? That's the love of Christ. I think it's beautiful. Thank you, Jesus, that you've came because Jonah wasn't good enough. And it wasn't just Jonah. It was all these prophets and all these people that served the Lord, that got called to, to, to serve for his purpose. But nobody like Christ could truly save. The second Christ connection that I see here is that unlike Jonah, who needed to be told to pray, Christ constantly went to the Father in prayer. You know, sometimes we forget, oh, we have this relationship with the Father. We should probably talk to him. We should probably pray. We should probably open up our Bibles. Christ was constantly in prayer. Do you remember how much he prayed? Like he went to, he had that connection with the Father like nobody else. He's the one who taught us how to pray, right? Well, that leads us to our first takeaway, this whole sense of prayer. The first takeaway is this, pray. Just pray. Go to the Lord. Pray without having to be told to pray. I don't know about you, but prayer is hard for me. I have to make myself pray, all right? I have ways to kind of remind me of, hey, I need to go and pray, okay? Sometimes I'm distracted by my phone in the sense that if I'm in the car, I'd like to listen to a podcast or something. There's moments where I just need to stop and pray. Just talk to him, listen from him. You know, what are those things that are keeping you from praying? Do I need to tell you, hey, you should pray? You know, if I do, well, let me tell you this. Hey, you should pray, okay? Have that relationship with the Lord. We need to pray without having to be told to pray. That's, that's fruit of the Spirit. To be able to come to the Lord. Check out what Mark 14, 37 through 38 says. And this is while Jesus was praying in Gethsemane before he was arrested. He says this. <clears throat> well, this is what happened. And he came down and found them sleeping. Remember he had told his disciples to keep watch? And so he found them sleeping and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? He said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. When we don't pray, it's easy to slip into temptation. Remember, Jonah was in, the, he was tucked in nice and cuddly in the boat, right? He should have been praying. He was so disconnected from the Lord's will that he was kind of in this. We don't want to be there. Pray. Let's continue to engage. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22 says this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Never stop praying? Yeah, it literally means never stop praying. Does that mean that we have to be on our knees like this every moment? No, that means that everything that we do needs to be with God in mind, you know? It needs to be with, hey, how can I serve you with this? How can I respond according to your word? How can I live in a way that glorifies you? This is what Paul's saying to the Thessalonians. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, whether good or bad, just give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Look at this. It says, do not quench the spirit. You know, if you don't pray, if you don't come to the Lord, if you don't read your Bibles, you end up quenching the spirit to the point where the spirit kind of like tends to want to die on you and you're wondering what the heck the problem is with life. It says, don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I'm telling you, this passage from 1 Thessalonians probably would have been very helpful to Jonah. <laughs> All right? <laughs> and, and it's helpful for us. This is a message that we really need to take to heart. In fact, I would highlight this in your Bible and make it your memory verse for the month or the week or however long it takes for you to memorize it. Just don't stop praying. Pray. Go to the Lord. That means have that relationship. Now, here's a pretty cool um, tool to help you with prayer. Sometimes people say, well, I don't know how to pray. And I get that. Sometimes it's hard to, to know how to pray, right? Uh, check this out. It's the Acts method. Acts, you can remember that. We just did the whole series of Acts. This is how you can pray. And this is kind of a picture of how the Lord taught us to pray and through the Lord's prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And it goes on. This is what he's doing in that prayer. The first one is acknowledge God. Acknowledge him for who he is. God, you're mighty, you're creator, you're worthy of honor and praise. Start with that. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you. You're amazing. Like you are worthy of my time. You are worthy of my life. I come before you because you're king. I lay at your feet, Jesus. You are my Lord. That's to acknowledge his, him. Just acknowledge him and acknowledge his greatness. The, second, the next part, confess. Lord, I have fallen short. Lord, this is what I've done and this is where I need help. Help me with this. Just confess. It's good to confess it, to bring it to the Lord. You know, come to him, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Confess what you have and then thank him. It says here, give thanks in all circumstances. So whether you're having a good life or whether you're having a terrible life in the moment, you rejoice and you give thanks. So confess what's going on. Thank you, Lord, that I even have the opportunity to come to you. Thank you, Lord, that you've blessed us with the provisions and each and every day we have our needs met. Thank you, Lord, that we have a church, that we have family, that we have friends. Lord, things are terrible, but thank you, Father, that everything is just under your hand, under your control because you're sovereign and you're good. And then lastly, supplication. That means bring your request forth. As a child asks the parent, like, Mom, Dad, can, can I have uh, uh, five bucks? You know, because I want to get an ice cream coat. And inflation's now five bucks, so, you know. Like at this, in the same way, we can come to the Father and, and ask for whatever our heart wants to ask the Father, you know? He's going to answer yes, no, or slow. All right? You may not get a yes right away, but nevertheless, we ought to come to Him. This is a good method for prayer if you want to write that down. If you think of Acts, it's a good way to help you remember, okay, acknowledge, confess, thanksgiving, supplication. Cool? All right. The next takeaway you can't flee the presence of God. We talked about that briefly, right? Look what Psalms 139, 7 through 8 says this. This is David. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the shoal or in the depths of the earth, you are there. Everywhere you go, God is there. God is not something you can put in a box. You can't say, God... You stay here and I'm going to go there. No, he is literally everywhere. Okay, we cannot flee from God. And then I love this passage from Job, chapter 40, 7 through 9. This is just a little example of the might 
and the, the, the beautiful, awesome presence of the Lord. He says this to Job. He says, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. In other words, hey, whatever you're doing, <laughs> I'm going to keep you accountable for that. Okay, regardless of where you are, you're gonna, I'm going to ask you because I, he just got done, by the way, in chapter 38, 39, describing how he's literally aware of everything that happens in the world, including when every wild goat is born. God is just so presently aware of these things. And so he says, I will question you and you make it known to me. He says, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Don't we do that sometimes? Don't we twist God's word a little bit so that it's a little bit easier on us? Da, 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 da. Don't condemn. Look, will you put me in the wrong so that you could be right is what he's saying. Have you an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like this? This is just a little glimpse of God's mightiness. Okay? He's there. He's present. He's, he knows what's up. And so you cannot flee from the presence of God. So let me ask you this. Do you have a calling? Has the Lord stirred you to something and you're just not doing it? Let me ask you why. Why are you fleeing from that? Is there something that you just need to bring to the Lord's feet, but you're just not doing it? Why? Why are you running? Why are you running? Are you like Jonah? You're trying to self-preserve? Or maybe you just despise the calling so much that you're not willing to do it? It's just a good time to check our hearts. But don't flee from the presence of, the God, of God because it's literally impossible. Got it? Third takeaway I have. Don't sleep through the storm that's designed to discipline you. All right? So you know, we can do that again. If we're so far removed from the Lord's will, sometimes we kind of fall into the state of the depression and then the storm hits and what we're doing, what are we doing? We're just tucked in sleeping. Don't sleep through the storm that's designed to discipline you. Now, one of God's great proofs is that when you rebel, he will not leave you alone. I don't know if you've experienced that, but when I do something against the Lord's will, he just doesn't leave me alone. Like something happens. There's been several times where I've tried to get away with things as a teenager. I try to, I've tried to get away with things. I can't think of a single thing that I've got away with. Every single time someone ratted me out, or my parents figured it out, or I spilled the beans accidentally, or there's camera footage of me somewhere. You know, like literally I've never been able to get away with anything because God does not allow that for his children. God looks after his children. He loves his children. He will do whatever to get your attention. And he may create a storm because... He's a father, like he's, he's going to discipline you as a father disciplines his child. That's an act of love right there. Let's look at Hebrews 12, 5 through 7. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have, in, that you have to endure God Excuse me, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. That's beautiful. God's treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? This is an act of love. And so you might be asking yourself, maybe, maybe, and I don't think any of you guys are acting yourself. I don't feel like God disciplines me. I really don't feel like I've ever gone through that kind of storm where God's trying to get my attention to discipline me. Well, preacher said this, and I really liked it. It got me to think. It's like, well, maybe God's not your dad. Maybe God's not your father. Maybe you're someone else's kid. Huh? Who do I live for? Who do I surrender to? Is it God or is it Satan? You know, 
And if things are kind of hunky-dory, nothing's ever been a problem for you, then you probably need to check who you're serving. This is a really honest thing to do. Like, hey, am I really living under God's will or am I kind of just surrendered to the other side? Am I the dark side? You know, it's, it's a good life check to, to have. You know, you could be out of God's will so long that you can literally get so comfortable away from him and you could sleep through anything, meaning you don't realize even what's going on in this world. You don't even realize the storms that are happening today. If you're not bothered by the sin in the world right now, you might be far away from God's will yourself. It's just something to check yourselves with. Is that you? What do you do? Well, what did God say to Jonah? What did the captain say to Jonah? Get up, arise, call on your God, right? Talk to God, come to him. You see, this is the, beauty thing, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he's available to us. He's ready to receive us. His door is always open. His office is always open. We can come to him. We can have that conversation. We can ask him. We can repent. We can ask him for forgiveness. And he's there. He's quick to give it to us because he loves us. He cares for us. He wants us to have relationship with us. Amen. That is Jonah the rebel. Just the very first part. Did you see how much there is in this section? And so we're taking it slow. We're going to continue to see what happens next week. He's thrown into the sea. And you guys know, you know, that Jonah was fish bait. He had a bad day. He tried to run away from God. You know the rest of the story. I recommend, I highly urge you to read the entire book of Jonah so that you have a pretty clear idea of what we go through next. That way we can dig deeper into the depths of the seas, right? Where the fish are, the big fish. And so with that, just urge you, don't run from God. Don't sleep. Pray. And God's got great things ahead for you, I believe in, in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We love, Father, what you're doing in this place. We just ask, Father, you would help us. Just help us draw to you in times of trouble, a storm, when we don't feel like it, Father. Just give us the strength to do what's right. Give us the strength, Father, to... Uh, pursue you and to live for you and not for ourselves. And thank you for your word today, Lord Jesus. And thank you, Father, that you have sent your only son to die for us, that he willingly gave his life for us, that while we were still yet sinners, he was willing to die for us. And so we do not take that for granted today. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.